Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey, how you doing, guys? Joe McCall here for another Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. I'm excited about this one again, as usual, but this one is a special one because this is going to be part two with a special friend of ours, Ray John. I had him on a couple months ago, and it's one of my most popular downloaded, viewed podcasts that I've ever done. And Ray is a land investing ninja who I think he lives in Florida. I've, I will ask him here in a minute. Uh, but he does a lot of deals <clears throat> down in Florida on that podcast, if you remember. And we'll link in the show notes if this, if you're watching this on YouTube, we'll link to the show notes of where that episode is because I want to really encourage you to watch that. Now, in that episode, we dove deep into actually looking for how to pick your counties and how to pick the markets and how to make the offers and all of that. And the feedback was off the charts. It's amazing. Now, there's a lot of different ways you can do vacant land. I typically like going after you know, rural, cheap, rural, recreational, vacant land, you know, one to 20 acres way out in the sticks. And we buy it for 25 cents on the dollar. Ray does a little different thing where he likes to buy the little quarter acre lots more in the suburbs that are selling for, you know, he might buy them for 25, sell them for 50 or something like that. So he has a little different way to do it. I interviewed another guy the other day, Pete, who likes to only target lands that are vacant lots that are 10 plus acres. And so this is going to be a great discussion talking about the different ways to do vacant land deals. And I also brought my land investing business partner, Matt Bills. So you guys are going to hear from Ray and Matt. Matt is a guy that I've known from church for a long, long time, super smart guy. And him and I have been, I kind of helped him start doing houses a long time ago, didn't like it. And then he said, I said, hey, let's talk about doing some land together. And he liked that idea. So we've done a ton of deals. And so I wanted to bring Matt and Ray on because a few months ago after Ray did that podcast, we went out and did some of what Ray taught in that podcast. And I think we have four or five deals under contract. We made a lot of mistakes. It was pretty ugly. And we'll talk about that because like we way offered way too high, over offered for these properties. We sent blind offers normally when I do it and I, the way I teach it. We send neutral letters that says, hey, if you want to sell your land, please call or text us 24-hour recorded voicemail. The calls come in, then we send them an offer. We did it different, or we sent blind offers and we got it way wrong. And so normally, like I said, we go out and do rural, recreational, large lots in the sticks. Ray does them more smaller lots in the cities. And so we're going to be asking him questions about, okay, what did we do wrong? What could we do better? And I think you're going to learn a lot from this. Cool. Are you guys good with that? As I'm going live right now, we should be going out to Facebook and YouTube, LinkedIn and Twitter, and pretty soon we'll be able to go out there on Instagram, which would be cool. Now, if you're watching this live, I want you to please type in any questions you have in the comments down below. Say hi, tell us where you are from, but you're going to have questions, you're going to have comments. And so if there's good uh, comments in there, I'm going to bring them up here on the screen and we can ask Ray or you can ask me and Matt some of the questions that you have about what we're talking about, okay? One more thing too as well. One of my free giveaways, I always try to give something away on my podcast. If you go to simplelandcontract.com, simplelandcontract.com, you're going to get for free, no strings attached, just give me your name and email, the letter and the contract, the one-page contract that I send to sellers on our vacant land deals. This is the same contract we use. This was a deal in Suwannee County, Florida. 
We sold it on owner financing, uh, making 250 grand a month. And our profit on this should be about 12,450 deals. This is a deal that Matt actually helped with. So yeah, you get this contract and letter for free if you just go to simplelandcontract.com, simplelandcontract.com. So if you're watching this again on YouTube, Facebook, give us a thumbs up, like this video, comment down below and subscribe to the channel. I'd really appreciate that. Also on YouTube is where you will see the link to the previous podcast that we did with Ray. Good? All right, enough of the intro. Let's bring on Matt and Ray. How are you guys? Doing awesome. Good. Yeah, thanks. Awesome, Joe. So I'm not sure how you're looking at it, but in the upper right corner is Matt Bills. Matt lives in St. Louis. Super nice guy. Been doing land deals with me part-time for a couple, three, four years now. Yeah. Um, he does other side hustles that he does. Uh, good entrepreneur. Ray down below. How you doing, Ray? Good. How are you, Joe? Good. How are you, Matt? <laughs> doing awesome. great. So, Ray, yeah, where do you live, Ray? Is it Florida? I live in Florida. Actually, I just closed four deals in Suwannee County. So when you mentioned okay. that, was like, oh, boom. <laughs> I, I love that because, like, I just had a coaching call today with about 50-something students. And one of the common questions I get with new students is, oh, what about competition? You're teaching this. Now everybody knows about it. And we're all going to be going into the same county and it's not going to work. Oh, my. And they start freaking out. Right. Yeah. Here, I just showed you a deal we did. This was probably a year or two ago, Matt. I don't remember. Uh, in Suwannee County, Florida. And Ray just says, yeah, we did how many deals in Suwannee County? I just closed four. So. Okay. In Suwannee, yeah. Have you flipped I, one or sold one yet? Haven't market yet. I just bought it. Uh, so as far as competition, I asked the same question to Tom Crow a long time ago. I said, uh, I don't want competition. I just want to choose a market that, you know, no competition. I can do a lot of deals, right? And he, he told me, hey, Ray, you need to think about if you're a jewelry dealer, would you rather to open your store in the middle of the desert or in the Fifth Avenue in New York, right? So your choice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a real good analogy. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah. So it's competition over, no, collaboration. It's not competition, it's collaboration. And one of the things you'll find when you go into counties where there are a lot of land investors, you'll find that those those counties sometimes, most of the time, can be easier to sell deals because, and it also can be easier to find people that can take drone footage. You know, it's easier to find realtors. Mm -hmm. People tell me all the time, oh, I can't list my property on the MLS because I haven't bought it yet. Well, we just, what was the county, Matt, that we just listed a property with a realtor that we haven't closed on yet? That was Charlotte County, Florida. Yeah. So now a lot of investors do deals in Charlotte County, Florida. Some of you listening to this might be like, oh man, I just picked Charlotte County. Now you're talking about it and it's going <laughs> to ruin it for everybody. But okay. So what I wanted to talk about, I'm glad you guys could be here, is um, Ray, Matt and I, a couple, three months ago, we listened to your podcast and we decided to go implement it. And what you taught back then was like, find out where there's hot areas of a hot act, lot of activity and go down into the subdivision level, pull a list, find out the, the average price that people are paying for lots in that subdivision, and then send them an offer at like, I don't remember what we used, 35, 40% or something. I think 40%. Of, 40%. Yeah. Of the average subdivision price per acre. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we did that. And guess what? Like anything that we ever do new for the first time, we make mistakes. But you know what? Even with all of the stupid mistakes we've done, we have four deals under contract, maybe five. Yeah. Right. Right. All right. And it's like, I think it's kind of embarrassing. Matt and I, we sometimes work out in the mornings together. And uh, all I hear from him is like, we got another one. Like we offered two or three times more than it's even worth. Yeah. And now Matt has to be the one to talk him down and say, no, I'm sorry, we can't do that. So. Yeah. 
we made a lot of mistakes by doing that. But even with the mistakes, we still have deals under contract. We're starting to market them right now. We're starting to get leads on them. We're starting to put them on the MLS too as well. So Matt, talk a little bit about what, you know, when we're getting leads now, calls from these sellers, they, Mm -hmm. the house, I mean, the vacant lot is worth 20. We're giving them an offer for like 15, but we need to be way down at five or something like that. Right. So like how, talk about, be honest, like, are these conversations uncomfortable and weird and how are you, how are you handling it? Yeah. I'll just say from my perspective, um, you know, I got a lot from Ray actually, and he recommended a couple of books that I read and uh, shared a couple of videos with me and like tips on talking to these sellers and negotiating these prices. So that was really helpful, but it's still, if you're, if you're new to it and you're not used to it, it's still awkward, but you have to understand that the more you do it, the easier it gets and the more comfortable you get. It's really just having conversations and connecting with people. So, uh, you know, I'm starting to get a lot more comfortable with it, but when we're offering sometimes like three times more than we should have offered on the property. That's a little bit interesting trying to talk them down. Now on the flip side, we probably got way more calls coming in because of that, yeah. right? Maybe that's a good mm-hmm. thing. I don't know, Ray, if, if you've had the same thing happen. So um, some people were angry about it. Some people weren't, but it did get the, it, it got the phone to ring. It got people responding to us. And, but yeah, going through the, the questions that you asked them, you know, do you have sewer? Is there a sewer? Do you guys, have you ever been to the property? Is there water? You know, you kind of like try to under, pick pick things that, you know, whether it's good or bad, you just want them to, to answer and you want to put it in their mind that, you know, oh yeah, it actually doesn't have water. Or maybe it is the smallest lot on the block. It's not a corner lot. It's just like every other lot or it does have trees or it doesn't have trees. These are all things Ray talked about on the past episode of the podcast that he was on. So I definitely got a lot from that. So yeah, um, talking to them, it's, it's really been a kind of a learning curve for me, just getting in the grind and talking to them. And um, well, so- I, sh- I should clarify too, you know, we normally send neutral letters. I think I yeah. might have already clarified that, but we normally send, hey, letters, if you want to sell your lot, call us and we'll send them an offer. So we send them an offer and yeah. only talk to them after they get it. So this right. was different. Right. Ray, so, let yeah. me ask you, Ray, you know, is, is uh, you, you teach and coach people how to do what you do. Is this a mm-hmm. common problem that they have as well? Yeah. So here's the thing, you know that nobody can absolutely make 100% accurate offers. That's impossible. So whenever you do that wrong, you just have to tell the seller you did it for hire and, you know, we didn't know. So here's the thing. Check it out, Joe. After the call with you, I have a student challenge me. He said, offer is the only thing that's most important. I said, it's not. Let me prove it to you. So I intentionally mailed to a county in Arizona 10 times more for more than supposed supposed to offer. So all those land is uh, very cheaper and worth about, you know, four to five grand each. So I suppose to offer about 15 to 1300 for those lots. But I added zero intentionally after that. And then, you know, you can imagine what's my response rate. I got so many calls. And then when they pick up the phone, I only say one sentence. Hey, Matt, I'm sorry. We made a mistake on the pricing. What I can do right now for the land is way less than the offer price. And guess how many deals I got? I sent 3,500 letters out. I got 11 deals from four sellers. So a lot of people think offer is the most important thing. But here's the thing. The owner already got so many offers from other people. They know know if they want to sell it for a very very quick. And this is pretty much how much they can get. Right. So your offer will not offend them. You know, just. All right. Yeah. So uh, Amir asks a good question here. What are these names of these books that you sent to Matt to learn some sales skills? 
Yeah, so there are three books I recommend it. Uh, the Never Split the Difference by Never Chris Watts. Never Split the Difference. Yep. Okay. And the Go for a No. Go for No. I think it's uh, called Richard Fenton. I think the author's name. And uh, another, the third book is what Tom told me. It's called uh, Flip the Script. It's not the pretty girl one, by the way. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a yellow book. Yellow <laughs> book. Uh, all yellow. So don't buy the pretty girl one. Oh, I'm, I see it here by Layla <laughs> Lee. It's not her. So this one is by Oren, Oren Claff. Absolutely. All right. I got the, I have one of those books. I'm going to buy that Flip the Script. I've not read that one yet. Yeah, I talk about a concept really important, which is always believing. So mm-hmm. not 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 about faith. It's about you try to leave instead of trying to push always, right? So if you try to push, like you go to the mall, a girl follow you all the all the way, and you kind of get annoyed, right? So you try to instead of doing that, you try to leave and try to have the seller convince you to buy the land instead of you always push for for buying the land. Excellent. Good. Good. All right. So Matt, you had some questions. Would you, can you kind of go through some of these questions you had sure. um, and ask Ray? Sure. Yeah. Open them up here as well. So Ray, one of the things I wanted to ask you about being that you, well, you live in Florida and I know you do quite a few deals in Florida. Have you run into many issues? Like, do you worry about flood zones very much when you're looking at buying property? Is that a concern for you? And maybe get uh, to that. Yeah. Flood zone is a must check and especially the wetland. So sometimes uh-huh. the, the awkward thing is the wetland is not always wet. So right. if you check uh, Google Map, sometimes the, the land wor- looks perfectly fine. So there's a website I can share with you, and uh, it's called Wetland Checker. So you open it up and put the address in, it will show you in color if that's a wetland. So I typically don't suggest people to buy wetland because yeah. I just close the wetland. There's a buyers for that. But uh, guess how many times it was under contract? five times with five different buyers. Yeah. You know, and the, the last buyer didn't check maybe, and I hope he didn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> but uh, now, We had the same experience with uh, some yeah. wetlands properties. It's very difficult to sell. Um, it right. takes a very specific buyer to buy that property. But in terms of uh, flood zones, like flood zone X or flood zone AE in that Florida area where people might need flood insurance if they get a mortgage for their for their home, is that something you steer away from or how do you navigate that? You just have to ask the realtors if that's a real concern and uh, specifically ask the, the realtors who sold land nearby the land you want to buy. Because if it is flood zone, it will be a huge area, right? So right. You, ask, you also ask the realtors specifically if that's an issue. And sometimes it's not a, a huge issue and sometimes right. it is. Yeah, that's been interesting because some of these lots we heard from someone saying, hey, they just recently classified this area as a flood zone. And if you get insurance, it's going to cost an extra $1,000 a month for whoever builds on that property. So that kind of threw us for a loop. And then, um, but you're saying just talk to the realtors and get the story on the ground. And uh, you can use that for, again, the sellers. Tell the seller, hey, man, I just find out one thing. I really hate to say, but your land is in the flood zone. I, I don't right. want to lowball you, but what do you think the best you can do? Yeah, that's right. Great. Yeah. So, okay, good. What's another question you have, Matt? Yeah. So speaking of realtors, I was wondering, do you have any good tips on finding good realtors to use on the sell side for you? So any kind of way that you source them or find them? Because not every realtor has the same skill level or quality or cares the same amount. Yeah. So um, the only way I find realtors is, is they actually sold a land in the same subdivision. So if okay. they haven't sold a, a land in the same subdivision, I typically don't contact them. 
And uh, when you go to Redfin, you can find the information. So let's say your street is street A, and you put the street A's name in Redfin, you can find uh, all the sold listings. So okay. click that and find who sold the listings. But there are two realtors normally. So there is a guy who lists the property for sale and the guy who actually bought it. So you want to contact the realtor who actually bring the buyer to the listing agent the buyer agent, not the listing agent, because uh, everyone can list a property, right? So that's easy. But the thing that the realtors with a cash buyer is the is the gold. Gotcha. I, I got a question here I want to ask you. Um, and and the, again, the reason why we're asking these questions is we're used to flipping properties that are rural out in the country in the sticks. And it's just different when you're in the suburbs doing little quarter acre lots, right? And, and the thing that's blowing me away, and I cannot figure out for the life of me, is how to price these things sometimes. Yeah. Because you'll be in the same little neighborhood there, and I could show this to you. Maybe I'll pull it up in a minute. You see some properties that are selling for 15, 20, 25 grand. And down the street, you see one that sells for 50, 70, 80 grand. Uh-huh. And you're like, who is buying the same lot for right. double or triple what these other people are s- selling them for? And these are recent sales. These are in the last 90 days. So, what is your pricing strategy when you're doing infill lots where there's a lot of comps? And sometimes they're all over the board. We're used to rural where you don't get as many comps, right? So what's, what's your f- pricing philosophy when you're advertising and selling home? Or big- so, so before I actually talk to the, uh, be- before I actually buy it, I would go to assessor website. I would look at the assessor value and uh, every land has an assessed value, right? Mm-hmm. So I typically, you know, normally assessed value is not equal to the land value. But sometimes the land value is more than the assessed value, but I try to buy it below the assessed value if if I can, right? So if I buy it below that, I know I'm pretty safe, right? So that's the first thing I check. And the second thing I check is we want to see what's the lowest near the nearby sold, right? So if the, the lowest is, let's say this land nearby sold is 10,000, there's another one sold for 6,000. I want to call the realtor and ask him why. Why does he think, you know, why, why he sold the land for such a cheap price? Is there something wrong with the neighborhood or there's something wrong with the land? So if there's something wrong with the land, that's fine because I can use the, the comps nearby my land, right? But if there's something wrong with the neighborhood, I will be very careful, right? The, that's the second thing I check. The third thing I check is the for sale price nearby. So if everything, my strategy is I, when I list a property, mine will be the lowest for mm-hmm. sale in the whole area. So I can sell my land very quick. So I want to see what's the for sale right now. Let's say everything is selling for 20 grand. And uh, if I, I, I know right away, if I want to sell this land, I want to put it for maybe 18,000 or 17,000, right? But how much I'm going to buy this, right? I want to make a profit. So I better buy at least half of that price, right? And then I will check again about the comparables and the last thing I do is I'll call the nearby three realtors to confirm my buy, um, you know, how much I ask the realtor this question. If I want to sell this very quick, what do you think the minimum I can sell this for? I don't want maximum because realtor mm-hmm. has the tendency to, to always maximum the list yeah, price, good. right? So that's the fourth thing I do. But after all this fourth thing I do, I'm, I know I'm pretty safe already. For example, I just bought a land. Assess value is 6,000 and I bought it for three, but everything for sale is 45 and uh, the sold comps is 35. So you see how big difference that assets value and the land value, but I'm pretty safe in, inside that price range, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, 
I am, uh, I want to show you something here and I'm going to share my screen again. Let me pull this out. I think this will be, it's related to what we were just talking about here. And I, I can do it. I swear I can. <laughs> Come on, Joe. All right. This is uh, Charlotte County, Florida. Cool. Yep. And uh, let's say we got a property right in the center of this map. If I look at actives and I, and I said under a hundred grand, I just want to remove the, there's some here that are for some reason, like a million bucks. I'm looking at vacant land between like, uh, 700, 7,500 square feet and half acre. These are like quarter acre size lots mm. and days on Zillow already. There's a lot here. Okay. Right. That may freak people out. And this is sorted from low to high. And you can see these little lots are sell, selling for 139, 14, 9, 15 grand. Mm. Okay. Um, if I change this to solds, then you have to do sold in the last 90, let's do six months. A lot of good sold activity. This looks to me like, oh, this is great. But if I scroll down here, this is what blows me away. Who buys these lots for, you know, 48 grand? Now, it's on the water there. They'll give me maybe that explains things. But, you know, you could, it varies so wildly. So part of the problem I think some people have is when they're relying on price to give them the up value. Mm -hmm. They're not looking at, okay, well, this is a corner lot. This is on the water or whatnot. So if you're looking at a property here and you see solds that are like 6,900, 7 grand, 10 grand, I'll just tell you how I look at this and you, then you tell me if I'm off or not. Like, this is what investors are buying these things for. Mm. And if I switch to for sale and I do days on Zillow any, and I got a little property similar in size down here in this, in the middle of this map here, this is my competition. And I'm looking at this thinking, all right, so if we want to sell it fast, we should probably list our property for $12,000. Is that being too aggressive or should we try to be at like maybe 14 or 15 grand because that's where these are? Does that make sense? Yeah, so I would uh, try to stay closer to the target property. But uh, I do see your concern. I want to find out uh, maybe just... So we call... zoom in a little more is what you're saying. Yeah, zoom in a little bit more because, you know, even the property is super close, but, you know, uh, that could be a different area. Uh, mm -hmm. But as far as I can see in this area, the lowest for sale is about 15. Yeah. So, you know, the perfect place you're at is about 13 if you want yeah. to sell this. And, uh, you know, this is a, one of the factors I consider if I can only list this for 13,000, how much I'm going to buy this, right? So, mm -hmm. and then I would look at the sold. And of course, the closer to the river, the more expensive the lot. Yeah. Right. And I only look at about three months, not six months. Okay. 90 days. Yeah. yeah. And there's one sold here for 10,500. Yeah, so that even decreased uh, my expectation. I was expecting about 13, and right now I would go by 11. So if, okay. uh, you have you have to sell this land for 11, how much I'm going to buy? Maybe about four to five. And uh, then that's your baseline. This is your top ceiling. And then you negotiate on top of that, hoping to get even lower. This is not like you're not telling... The, so this, this is what I tell to everyone. When you negotiate, do not set a bar for yourself, right? People always talk about this mile number, maximum allowable offer. But if you have that number in your mind, you will tend to go to that number. Hmm. You know what I mean? That's why I can get a super cheap deals that people don't even believe because I don't have a number in mind before I talk to the seller. I try to get one thing only as low as possible to the point that I don't even believe I can get that for that yeah. price. And you make them come up with the number. Correct. They come up with the number first, and then I will come up with a super low anchor that I feel like 
I'm super comfortable to throw that number. So if Joe, you say, uh, if you are the seller, you tell me, hey, uh, the best I can do is 4,000. And I'll be probably like, uh, I don't know if I can do four because of this, that, that, and this. You know, I was thinking about, I was in the couple hundred range. You know, I would stop talking. I didn't give you an offer. And, uh, but if you stop talking, the, the seller will keep talking to you. And they'll be like, oh, that's super low. And then you cannot do that. And then I would interrupt them. I would say, hey, Joe, I know you cannot do that. I'm in the ideal world right now. Now in the reality, I'm just kidding, right? So let me ask you this, Joe. How much closer do you think you can get to that number, right? So I throw a super low offer and I try to drag him, right? I try to pull him instead of I go to his side, right? And another thing I want to say is uh, called interruption. So we are all married right now. Hopefully married uh, man for you, but I don't know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so so when, when we are dealing with our wife and then sometimes we have this argument and then uh, when we have the argument, you feel like, is we are not going to get out of this loop because we're always angry and talk about things that we focus on. But all of a sudden, your kids come in and interrupt you guys. And uh, after a few minutes, you're like, what were we angry about? So this is called pattern interruption in philosophy or negotiation. So you want to do that with the seller. So if he's stuck with the number or if he's super firm on that price, let's say 4000 there is absolutely no way you can convince him to go lower. So what do we do? I interrupt him. I would be like, hey, what are you going to do in Valentine's Day? You what know, you something in, in Valentine's Day or in New Year, in New Year, right? So I would talk about something completely irrelevant hmm. and throw them out of uh, focus on the price <laughs> and then talk about that for a minute and about five minutes. And they'll be like, hey, Joe, you know what? I really cannot do that 5,000. What do you think the best you can do if I pay you cash? Right. So you bring them back and back and forth and they will completely forget about that firm price. So it really worked out for me very well using this kind of uh, tricks. So, okay. That's, I love that. I love that. It's sales 101. And um, let me ask you that if you're going to sell a property for 11 grand, you're going to want to buy it around four. Is that right? right. So that gives that's you about a $7,000 spread. Yeah. Are you still going to hire a realtor to advertise that property for you at 11? Probably not that low. Yeah. You would do that on your own? Yeah. I'll, I'll just market to the neighbors and whoever bought the land, the neighbors, you know, post on Facebook, you know, for hey, any deal. Tip? Yeah. This is for everybody out there. Um, I was talking to a student who's done a lot of land deals and he said, one of the things he does is that he has, he tells his friends and his wife's friends, hey, I'll pay you a hundred dollars if you sell our vacant lot. Because you know how hard it is sometimes to put properties on Facebook marketplace I hear students complain about this all the time. You know, it, it, they, they gets taken down or he gets complaints yeah. or whatever, but they get, the, what this guy does is he pays his friends $100 if they bring him a buyer. So they'll put the same property, the, like he'll have multiple people put the same property on Facebook Marketplace from their personal profile. And um, it actually works. So you don't have to worry anymore about trying to get through the Facebook walls. You know what I'm saying? Does this make it any yeah. better? Yeah, Facebook is hard. Yes, it's very, very hard. But what if you found somebody who's a friend who's been on Facebook for 15 years or whatever, and they post a property on Facebook Marketplace in that area, it goes through. So he says like he would sell most of his deals that way, having his friends post them, and then he would pay them $500. So they would just handle the incoming messages when they came in through Facebook Messenger. He would set, the, the person would send, would write down their name and send them the phone number. And yeah, awesome. Something to think about. Right. Okay. 
Awesome. Oh, uh, Matt, do you have any more questions? Well, let's see. Um, regarding what you just talked about, Ray, one of the things I've encountered a lot is people have this sort of sentiment uh, the price they pay for the property, they think that is the value of the property. So I get this a lot where they say, I won't sell it for anything less than what I bought it for. So what mm -hmm. would you say, what's your, like, how do you approach that? So first of all, how, uh, when you download the mailing list, uh, how many years they have to hold the land for? We normally, on this list, we did, I think, was it five or 10 years, Matt? I think it was 10 years. Ten. They've held it for over 10 years. Okay. 10 years is a long time. Normally, I, you know, I do five years and above. And uh, normally they don't have that question. And uh, okay. yeah, so some sometimes they, they say like, hey, I, you know, I have uh, other realtor uh, investor contact me for this land or I pay this much. And a lot of people are interested in this price already. Yeah. I'll be asking them, hey, why you, you, why you haven't sold it yet? Right. Right. So, yeah, you just ask them why they keep keeping it. And the thing is, uh, when people, if you want to motivate something, someone to do something, so there's two things you can do. So you increase their pain and uh, increase their pleasure. So so if you increase their pain of holding the land, there's a reason they call you, right? So why do they call you? You have to find out. And you have to find out what's the reason behind why they want to sell the land. And if they say, oh, I am super away from the land. I live like in New York, Milan is yeah. in Florida. And uh, you'll be like, hey, um, do you have to pay some sort of uh, nuisance lien or some type of if you don't cut the grass, the city gave you a fine and uh, just increase that pain more. Right. So motivate them. To, yeah. You're trying to move them away from pain and toward pleasure, basically. Yeah. You increase yeah. that pain. Now, now remove the pain from them. So if you increase the pain more of holding the land and they don't want to hold mm, that land. Anymore, right. Right. Yeah. So and then you can ask a question like, hey, Matt, um, I know we're going to talk about cash offers. Let's say after we close the deal and what are you going to do with the money? So right now, what you're doing right now is increase their pleasure. Let them imagine what they're going to do with the money after they close it. Right. Yeah, it, I like that. Yeah. So I yeah. went through something like that and, uh, you know, just find out what their pain point is and increase that. Yeah. I think what I've found um, in, in kind of locating that pain point that works well right out of the gate, I try to ask them, um, so why did you buy the lot? Were you planning to build your dream home there or was this an investment? So then Right away, they kind of drop their guard down and then they just start telling me their story. Yeah, I bought this 10 years ago. I thought I was going to move there and I live in this state far away and I'm just paying the taxes on it. So you're kind of uncovering um, where they are in the process. Like, are they really a motivated seller? And yeah. You're kind of uncovering like, yeah, they've been paying taxes. They don't like that. So then you can kind of talk yeah. about that. So that I, that that has worked well for me, that question. Absolutely. I, was, I wrote on my board, there are five things you can create the instant engagement with people. The first thing is encourage their dreams. The second thing is justify their failure, right? And mm -hmm. the third thing is align their fears. And the fourth thing is confirm their suspicious. And the last thing is help throw, help throw rocks at their enemy. Right. So I combine all of this with, you know, negotiation. So if they tell me a thing, you know, something they like, I'll, I'll be aligned with them. Right. Right. So if they, they have an enemy and let's say the tax is their enemy. Right. So I will be aligned with that enemy. Right. So you do that and uh, just treat your seller as a friend and uh, you can create a miracles. And if you just want to go out there and get a deal, sometimes it's hard to do. Right. Right. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. It reminds me, too, of the questions I would ask sellers like, 
Dang, it sounds like a real nice house. When I, when I used to talk to a lot of sellers <laughs> for houses, right. yeah. sounds like a real nice house. Why would you even want to sell this? Totally. Or, or then ask them, I'm sure, if it's listed, I'm sure you've gotten tons of showings and a lot of interest in this property because it's been on the market for 90 days, right? So anyways, yeah, asking those questions and probing and figuring out their why, what are they going to do with right. when they get it? Why do they need to sell it? Do they need to sell it now? Is this a now thing or a later thing? What's more right. than the price or selling it quickly? And I usually just end it with like, sounds like, you know, you've got a great property here. You should just list it with an agent. Again, what you talked about at the beginning, you're pulling away, right? Yes. Why don't you just list it with a realtor? Why haven't you sold it yet? Um, you're not in a hurry to sell this thing, right? You've got lots of time. You don't, you don't need the money right away, right? Right. Yeah. Alex Armosi says, uh, he who needs the sale the most has the least leverage. So it's kind of like that, always be leaving. Like you don't need it, right? Your vibe is, oh, no problem. Like I don't need it. You should probably just sell that with a realtor. You want, if you want market value, that's probably your best bet. Yeah. Um, that's the yeah. same kind of attitude that you're talking about, Joe. Yeah. I call it being, I call it being the reluctant buyer. What were you going to say, Ray? No, I say, I just, uh, when people want to pull away, you want to pull away further, right? So if you mm. want to, you don't want to sell for that price, you, you tell him, I don't even want to buy it at that price. So <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Cool. Right. Matt, do you have any other questions for Ray? Uh, let me check here. Um, I was going to, okay. One thing Joe and I were thought might be a good question is now that you've had a couple months of your coaching program going on and you've had to teach multiple students and, and coach them through this, has your process changed at all of how you started doing these deals or is everything still the same? It's pretty much the same. Uh, we have seen some very good results. And uh, I think the more, uh, you know, the more you teach, the more you learn, right? So through all this process, uh, I have learned so much about land investing itself. And uh, I got super clear on the whole process right now compared to, I don't know what to teach by then, right? So, yeah. uh, but right now I'm super clear, let's say the valuation of the land. There are so many things we look at before right. we actually buy the land instead of, you know, just gambling, right? So. Gotcha. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, one other thing that we you did touch on briefly already, for example, um, being so neighborhood specific with your pricing. So it's like this one neighborhood might be have a totally different price than the one street over in a different neighborhood. Currently, we have, I think it's a quarter acre deal that we just got a signed contract for. And all the other quarter acre deals that I've seen in Port Charlotte, maybe uh, the lowest for sale is probably 14,000, 15,000, somewhere around there. This particular neighborhood, the lowest I can find is like 33,000. So how, how much, how believable, like, do I, do I really base it off that? Because then I could buy it for a little bit more, right? Off that neighborhood price in your experience. Yeah. So you need to know why it was much higher or why the neighborhood is so much lower, right? So, right. yeah. So you, you start like, I would assume there's a lot of water, right? And uh, the more yeah. close to the water, the more land value is. But um you know, you always want to be super cautious as far as those big county. And Charlotte County is the biggest county in the whole country, right? Charlotte County, Lee, Lee County, you know, Florida, those are like top one, top two, wow. right? So, wow. uh, so you just have to be really careful because, uh, you know, some when 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 there are so many for sale, you land will be buried inside right. of those for sale, and that's it comes to really the price you purchase the land, yeah. right? And uh, I would ask as many realtors as possible before I, I bought, I buy this land. And uh, I really want to be very passionate, what's the call word? Very passionate. Yeah, before I buy it. And very, very, um, 
you know, just make sure that everything is, is good before I actually purchase the land. I would imagine, too, when you go into a, any new county, this is a normal learning curve, isn't it, Ray? Like, if you're going into a new state and a new, new county, they all have their own unique quirks, right? Yeah. And this is something that every investor just has to learn as they go into a new area. Um, mm-hmm. Like, Matt and I, we, we made some really crazy offers on some properties in Northern California that we thought were amazing. This is Northern California. Who would not want to own property here? It's gorgeous, but we offered way too much. And so we had to cancel a couple of them. We sold right. a couple and still made profit on them. We didn't lose any money. Mm. But like now, if we were to go back into that county again, we know what we know how to, to, to price these things right. We know what to ignore and what to pay attention to. Are you talking about Brunswick County? No. It was uh, Siskiyou County, wasn't it? Siskiyou. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in North Carolina, South Carolina. North Cal- California. Sorry. Oh, California. Okay. Yeah. So uh, there are some uh, states I would just do a neutral letter. There are so many subdivisions that are hard to uh, yeah. offer. So like, like uh, South Carolina, North Carolina, I always do a neutral letter. And, uh, you know, if uh, you have to ask me for a, su- a suggestion, I would encourage to you guys to go more, like more... Uh, then as far as the land value go uh, more, you know, so instead of like doing higher price property, higher price. Yes. So doing deals like, you know, for example, in, in Florida, there's areas like uh, Flagler County, Sturgis County and Bivara County. Those land are selling for uh, 30 grand and Flagler, like where Tom lives, Port St. Lucie and those areas is super expensive, right? So uh, on those type of land, if you get a deal, you can, you can make it very big. Yeah. Yeah. I interviewed a guy who, um, I, I, I love, fa- it's fascinating to me doing these podcasts <clears throat> because you see everybody having their own little mm-hmm. preferences, right? You like going after the small little quarter acre lots that are real competitive, lots of activity in the suburbs of Florida. I interviewed a guy the other day, Pete, he's going after only 10 plus acres out in the sticks because his philosophy is you can do more with these types of properties that are 10 acres. Somebody could buy them and subdivide them or build a big house or go hunting, mm-hmm. turn them into trophy properties, you know. So it's interesting. I think, what do you tell people, Ray, of like, how, do, do you need to like find your niche and stay in that lane? Or do you say like, do as much as different, as many different things as you can? Yeah, there are so many niches in land uh, flipping itself already. So there are people I know, they buy a huge lot, like 300 acres, and they subdivide them and sell them, right? Right. And uh, there's so many niches, you just have to find one and make it work. And then you can go to the rural land or whatever. And if you're doing rural land, just do that. And then go to the infill lots. Do not try to do two things at the same time, because as, as you already find out, it's very confusing. Sometimes in rural land, it's very hard to offer. On the infill lots, it's, it's easier to, to offer, right? So right. just totally different game. Um, but uh, I don't suggest people to do two things at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. You have any other questions, Matt? So you might have talked about this on on the other show that you did, but why do you prefer offer letters instead of neutral letters? Uh, I said uh, to everybody, our offer letter is like a little army, right? So it kills all the non-motivated sellers. And uh, the guy who survived is a motivated seller, right? So they call you back and uh, you save a lot of time. And uh, yeah. the reason why I don't like a neutral letter is you have to take a lot of calls. Of course, you can delegate that to someone else. Uh, but the thing is, if you do it only yourself and you have so many calls come in that limit your ability to go to multiple markets at the same time. But what if it's, uh, what if with, uh, 
uh, offer letter. I can go to many counties at the same time without worry about uh, those people who call me back. It's not just curious how much I'm going to offer them. Right. So, yeah. And how many offers do you send per week right now? Uh, I send about 10 to 20,000 uh, offers every single month. Wow. Yeah, okay. so I, I heard another guy on Joe's uh, podcast, that guy uh, sent out 50,000, right? I was like, I'm going to have to do more do more uh, mailings. Yeah, and how often do you repeat? Like, So let's say you mailed um, Charlotte County or Brevard County, then do you just keep mailing them or do you like let them a couple months pass and then you mail them again or what's your strategy with that? Yeah, so if I mail to a county, I got some deals, I would mail to that county only if about three months later. Okay. So I, I got a, I lost a lot of money on one county because I mailed it too soon. So I went to a county mm-hmm. in, in Texas, it's called Camel County. I mailed to that county, I got a, my first deal in that county, I bought it for 20 and the, I was going to sold it for 60. So that's a done deal, already closed it. And then I got my second deal under contract with the seller, and I was supposed to buy it for twenty-eight thousand. And then the realtor all tell me you can easily sell this for sixty-three, sixty-five, no problem. I was so happy, and I still under contract. I said to myself, I'm going to mail to that county again right now. So with a higher price, offer price. And then I mailed to that county again. I forgot to take that guy's name out, and I mailed to the same guy with a higher offer, and he said, Hey, right. It's you, not other people. You offer me higher than in one. That means that the market is appreciating. Yeah. So I'm not going to sell my land. Maybe I can get a better offer. <laughs> so he canceled the contract. I, I'm, I'm super upset, right? And he sold it to someone else for 35 grand. And that guy sold it for 63. So, you know, that's not a good strategy if you mail it too soon. Yeah, that's, and, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So you only mail it right now. I'm about three months apart. But to that point, you know, frequency is very important because we talked about in, in lieu of competition, you know, why also that's not a bad thing is because they might get a bunch of other offers and then they get your offer. And in their mind, they're thinking, oh, this is the company that sent me those other offers. I'm going to give them Correct. all this time, right? Absolutely. So it may not even be you that sent those, but you're yeah. piggybacking off of other people's marketing efforts. And you think about credit card companies, like there's a reason why they just keep them coming in your mailbox because Absolutely. it has to do with the point in your life that you're in, you might be in a point where you're doing really well. And then some people might be in a point where they actually like, you know, that would be nice to have this card. Something happened in their life and they're like, I need to sell this land now. And so that frequency is pretty important. Yeah. I went to some county, my very first time I sent the mailers, the seller called me back. Hey, this rate never sent me to this, to this address again. You sent me so many. I was like, this is the first time I sent it to you. But, uh, that's, uh, to your point, you know, that's very important to keep mailers. I had a seller one time who, for some reason, I was talking to them, Matt, and I normally don't call sellers, but I did on this one. And um, this was Putnam County, I believe. I think, anyway, he, it's a popular county. Lots of investors send mail there. But his, his daughter is getting married in about a couple, three months. He just wanted the money to buy, to help pay for the wedding. Yes. And if he would have gotten that letter three months ago, he probably wouldn't have cared or thought about it or thrown it away. But yeah. Weddings are expensive. His daughter's probably getting to that point where she's stressing out and freaking out and there's a bunch of drama going on. Yeah. That's just kind of what happens. And he's like, I need some cash because this balloon, this this bill is getting bigger and bigger every month. So he got my letter at the right time. And he's like, yeah. And and I, I talked to him. I said, how, you know, how long ago did you buy it? You know, he's 
bought it five or six years ago. What did you pay for it? Six grand. I was offering him four grand, two grand less than what he bought it for five years ago. And I said, oh, I felt kind of bad. I said, you know what? You should just list it with an agent if you want to get more money. That He said, no, I need it now. My daughter's getting married. Yeah. And I'm, we just never use that property anyway. So the, I want to reiterate the point of how important it is to always be sending offers and sending letters. Cool. That's yeah. a great example. And you, and you never know why people sell their land. I recently got a land, it's oceanfront for $700. And that, that owner bought the land 20 years ago for 155000 and he wants it off his hand because he want to sell quick so he can claim tax uh, deduction or something. Wow. Like losses. Yeah. He was going to. Yeah. Correct. Tax loss. Yeah. Cool. Matt, do you have any other questions? That's pretty much all I got. Yeah, this has been great. I really appreciate uh, t- you taking the time to answer these, Ray. Yeah, no problem, Matt. Anytime. Ray, um, what kind of advice would you want to give to people as we wrap this up here who are wanting to get interested in land and... and um, they don't know where to start. They're confused. Or they, you know, they hear us talking. They're like, "Oh, well, should I go after quarter acre lots or five acre lots or you know suburbs or sticks?" Like, what would you say? No, oh, I think Ray, we lost you. He's frozen. You hear me, Matt? He looks frozen to me as well. Ah, well, we'll go ahead and wrap this up um, now. You can see um, Ray's handle there is Virtual Flip Land. And I think if you go to hey, yeah. Ray, sorry, he's that. back. Sorry Ray is that. back. Sorry about that. So as far as advice is, uh, don't um, be don't be over analyze uh, whatever you think you're doing, right? So just keep doing the things that Joe teaches or whoever teaches you to do, and just do it, and don't second guess. I mean, there are so many things we can do wrong, but by doing the wrong thing, you can get the right thing done. So yeah, I just had a coaching call an hour ago, and that was my same advice to him: stop over analyzing this. So easy to do. Oh right. man, I often do it, and I call Joe, and he's like, "Listen, it's not that complicated." You know, like you're, you're always the the voice of reason to me when I'm overthinking it. Well, it's it's easy because you you're you, we get worried about making a mistake. And, yeah, um, but yep. I think we need to investors need to give them, especially new investors getting started, and even experienced investors. Like we've done a lot of deals, but like we need to give ourselves permission to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And uh, can, can I just share a very quick uh, story? So I mailed to a, a Connie to the mailhouse. I sent a list to the mailhouse uh, recently to a Connie in Florida, and he messed up with the list. He sent my my uh, list to Nevada, right? And then guess how many deals I got? I got three deals in Nevada now <laughs> instead of really? Florida. So you can you can absolutely do wow. the wrong thing and get results. So I love your story of. Um... <laughs> Sending Arizona intentionally in offers 10 mm-hmm. times higher yeah. um, just to get the phone to ring, get them on the phone and talk to them. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. Ray, how can people reach you? Uh, always my Instagram is called Virtual Flip Land. So V-I-R-T-U-A-L Flip Land. There you go. Good. I put it up here on the screen on IG, Virtual Flip Land. You're doing a real good job posting content in there, little lessons that you're learning and things that you're working on and it's fun to watch you be so active on the channel. It makes me jealous, which makes me wish I was doing more uh, posting content on things like you're doing, Ray. So good job keeping it up. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Thank you very much. Cool. Virtual right. clip land. Thank you, Ray. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Matt. Anytime yeah, thanks, if you guys need any help and you feel us, contact me anytime. All right. For sure. Hey, guys. We'll see you later. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Thank you, Matt. Later. Yep. See you guys. Thank Bye-bye. you.